again. We're from the Christ Redeemer Church, and we can love and serve you in a way. Don't hesitate to ask. Our summer message is going to continue our story in the book of Romans. Because today we're going to be in Romans chapter 8, looking at verse 18. Again, Romans chapter 8, looking at verse 18. We have been walking through the book of Romans. We've been trying to see the author and Not that what we wanted to say, but what does God say in his word? And so Romans is found in the New Testament. We have two Testaments in the Bible. We have an Old Testament. We have a New Testament. The Old Testament is the Latin word. The word Testament deals with covenant. So the Old Testament, which is 39 books of the Bible, is the Old Testament. And 27 books of the Bible is the New Testament. There was this new covenant, this covenant of tells us in Romans chapter 8 at verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Let me read that again. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Some of y'all might be looking at me like Crescent again for your grace and your mercy, bringing us back another Lord's Day, Lord, to worship you in spirit and truth. Lord, you deserve all the worship. You deserve it all, Lord. You have done so many great things towards us, Lord, not only in the past and the present, but also in the future, Lord. You are God that is continually good to your people. We thank you for that, Lord. So this worship, Lord, is for you and for you alone, not me as the pastor, not here at Christ Redeemer. But, Lord, it's all for you. So let this worship, Lord, be centered around you, Lord, and as your people leave this place. Not that Crescent is a great man, but we serve a great God. So, Lord, we ask you, Lord, to go before us. Give us, Lord, truth. Give us your word here today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Paul, he wrote this book of Romans. When Paul wrote this book of Romans, he wrote it as a letter to the Roman church. We are Christ Redeeming Church in Pine Bluff, Arkansas. This church right here, the church of Rome at the time. Not the Catholic Church of Rome, but it was actually the Roman church before the Catholic Church came into existence. So Paul wrote this letter to the Roman church for various reasons. One of the reasons he wrote this letter to the Roman church it's to encourage them. If y'all know someone that had a surgery before, you might write them a letter and say, hey, I'm praying for you. I'm thinking of you. Can I, get, can I, can I assist you with anything? Well, Paul, in the same way, Paul was writing his letter to encourage the people in Rome on what they were facing. Many of us facing persecution. Many of them was facing Hostility for holding on to the truth. It was many various things Paul was addressing, and many of them forgot what Christ has done for them. And Paul wrote this letter to encourage them of the great gospel. Don't forget the gospel. Don't forget the gospel. Remember the gospel. Trials gonna come. Remember the gospel. Hard times gonna come. Remember the gospel. Because 
even know what the gospel has done? The gospel is good news, right? It's not a good news if you don't have a what, bad news. It was bad news at first because Adam and Eve sinned. We all have sinned. We all fell short of God's glory. But the good news is that the Father sent his own son, Jesus, to live the life that we didn't live. He took our place, right? Like we deserve to die, but Christ died so we wouldn't have to die. And so we can live in the spirit. So Paul is encouraging them in this. But all of us in this room, as believers, we know this good stuff, right? We know what Christ has done. We're thankful, Christ. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for all what you have done. But when first somebody in Walmart get in front of us, or first when somebody offends us, or when somebody don't do what we want them to do, right? But the gospel goes out the window and we start trusting self. I'm going to speak my mind. I'm going to tell it like it is. And it's built upon the flesh and not the spirit of Christ. Because Christ has gotten tempted the same way I have gotten tempted, the same way you have gotten tempted. The same way people have provoked you, they have provoked Christ. But Christ done something so special, he still honored his father in the midst of hard times. So Paul is writing this letter to encourage them. There's never an excuse. There's never an excuse to live in the flesh. Sometimes it get hard, doesn't it? Sometimes it get hard, and sometimes for many of us, you want to live for the truth, you want to live for the gospel, but that flesh keep coming up, right? Then you start dealing with depression, like, am I really a believer? Am I really following after Jesus? Because even though I'm trying to do right, but I still do wrong, I'm trying to do this right, but I do wrong, I'm tempted about this, I'm tempted about this, but Lord, I love you. Family, I struggle with that too. And Paul is telling us that he has struggled with it as well. That the more he wants to do right, flesh comes up. Pick a book. Flesh comes up. So Paul encourages us that in the midst of this, Paul tells us in, in Romans 7, Oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to save me from this? Thanks be to Thanks be to God. That Paul sees in the midst of his shortcoming, there's a great Savior. In the midst of his shortcoming, there's a great God. And family, I'm here to remind you of that great God today. I'm remind you of assurance. That's what Paul has been doing here. You're going to struggle, but Christ will not leave you. Bad things are going to happen in this world, but Christ will not leave you. The thing's not going to go the way you want it to go, but Christ will not leave you. Do you trust me? Trust me, trust me, trust me. This is Christ is presenting here in this book of Romans. So how are we going to do it today? We're going to do it in three points today. Three points today. Christians suffer for Jesus. In point number one, 18a. The second point is going to be suffering is happening now in the Christian life. Suffering is happening now in the Christian life. And the last point is point three. Suffering point Christians to the glory to come. Suffering point Christians to the glory to come. If I could title this message, I would say, God's glory is worth waiting for. God's glory is worth waiting for. 
Let me read this quote. I think this quote kind of set the tone of the message here. Scriptures is clear in the end. The body of Christ must stand and shine brilliantly. But the people of God would not proceed painlessly into the victorious future. We will be tested and tried. We will lose relationships. Yet, yet in the end, these inevitable, inevitable griefs will gather us closer to the heart of the crucified king and will reveal his glory in the church for which he died. Hard times doesn't mean God is not present. But hard times mean God is present. Let me talk about point number one. Christians suffer for Jesus. It tells us in verse 18, For I consider that the suffering of this present time. For I consider, again, when we see the word for we, for, we should remember it has given us reason to what happened recently in the text what Paul talked about. You remember verse 17? And if children and heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Those are heirs, right? They are sons and daughters of Christ. Everything Christ has, we get. My, even my earthly father. Everything my earthly dad has, right? He passed it down to the son. In the same way, our father in heaven, by us being his sons and children, we get what he gets. We get what he has. What is it? What is it? We get everlasting peace. We get everlasting goodness. All those uh -uh, communicatable attributes, we get. So Paul shared with us in verse 17 that we are heirs with Christ, we suffer with Christ, and we'll be glorified with Christ. Paul explained earlier that he means by heirs and suffering. Heirs, again, mean that we are illegally adopted sons because of the redemptive work of Christ. So we are truly heirs of Christ. Now Paul now is transitioning from heirs now to suffering with Christ and glorification. It's a unique relationship of suffering and glorification. Because Paul knows that many Christians have a hard time identifying the relationship between suffering and glorification. Did y'all know this? Almost every time in the scripture, when it talks about suffering, it points back to glory. A lot of time, too, in scripture, a lot of time, I mean, almost majority of the time, when it talks about God's glory, it points to suffering. A lot of times we separate the two. We don't see the relationship with both. We say, well, suffering is this. Glory is this. But the scriptures is continually reminding us that it's a unique relationship. One person says this. Have you ever noticed that this apostle, indeed of all apostles, never mentioned glory without immediately mentioning at the same time suffering? Is a very opposite position, is it not? The moment they begin to talk about this glory, they're always going to speak about suffering. Our Lord himself did so, as we find recorded in the Gospel according to St. John. Chapter 15, verses 15-16. And we have already found the theme of suffering in chapter 5 in Romans. We were 
rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, and not only so, but we glory in tribulation. Paul could not mention glory without immediately being made to think of this element of suffering. Rarely you hear someone looking Really, you hear someone teaching and preaching about suffering and glory together. When you're suffering, I'm going to be walking into that. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, but suffering. So many various people go through suffering in this world.
You come to Jesus, you'd be the richest person in the world. You come to Jesus, you have all the prosperity. You come to Jesus, you will forever be healed. come to Jesus in the prosperity gospel is that you come to Jesus that you'll never be sick again physically. That you'll never be broke again. Many have spoken this. chosen and blessed by God, God continue to bless us. God continue to give us good things. I have a beautiful wife. I have beautiful children. Where do they come from? From God. God gives us good gifts. I had a family member that was sick and God has healed them. God our God still heals today. God is faithful. He still heals today. God is kind in many various ways. But to say that once you believe in Jesus, you will never see hard times again. What do you say about David in the Old Testament? David loved the Lord, but David struggled. Paul loved the Lord, but Paul struggled. Every Christian in the Bible that we know of in the scriptures, they struggled. They struggled. Paul at times talks about this affirmity on his side. He wished to go away. Paul was a man that knew God's word. Paul was a man that trusted God's word. But at the end of the day, Paul knew what it meant. Feel hurt. So every Christian where we see within the Bible, every person that God has mentioned in the Bible have went through things. Jesus, your family members will never get sick again. You come to Jesus, you'll be rich forevermore. That has never happened in the Bible. Because this is not our home. God go prepare a place for us. Yes, sickness and death is going to happen here, but God's going to make all things new that one day sickness will never be in anymore. But here on this earth, it's not our home, so sickness is here. So some have took away suffering. And they have part of preached another gospel and said Christians would not suffer. One person said this about the prosperity gospel. The health and wealth gospel basically said God wants you to be healthy and wealthy. If you just had enough faith, you would be blessed by God with health and wealth. Part of this health and wealth gospel is based on the use of certain verses like Proverbs 12, 21, which says, No ill befalls the righteous. in trouble, you will not be wicked. So for those that suffer, that say they are Christians, don't have enough faith. If they had enough faith, they would not suffer. Well, let me ask you a question then. Jesus had the best, most faith to everybody in this room, everybody's world, but he suffered. Jesus suffered, so we suffer. We all suffer, and Jesus suffered. People that have taught this is Benny Hand, Crapo, Kenny Copeland, and many others have said this. 
They do not see God's hand in suffering. But I tell you here today that hard time doesn't mean God is not present. Learn to poor countries. I have been to Africa. I'm going to go where we're going back here soon. You get over there, and many of them have been sold with this dream that once you believe in Jesus, you're going to be rich, that you will have food every day, that you will never go hungry again. That once we come, you hear and put your faith in Jesus, you will never be poor again. I have met so many people now in the area of Kongwali, Africa now, that love Jesus and still don't have meal. So that faith is not enough. That's not true. Their faith is grown. But their faith is preparing them for something greater to come. Listen to this critique of the health and wealth prosperity gospel someone. The blessings of the gospel that we mentioned, chosen, adopted, and redeemed, forgiven, all brings us to God. And these blessings are only through the Son of God, purchased by him in a way that magnifies God's gracious mercy and love that cannot be earned. It goes down and says this, but the prosperity gospel robbed God of his glory at every step. It does so by redefining the blessings of received in Christ. Those who hear its message go home, desire earthly treasures instead of fellowship with God. When earthly, earthly treasures is desired more than God, the treasure receives the glory that only God deserves. And the parable of the hidden treasures in Matthew 13, 44, 40 says, the man sells all his earthly possessions to get the kingdom of heaven. The prosperity gospel offers us the opposite. So the prosperity gospel goes further in robbing God of his glory by turning his audience away from Christ's efficiency. Instead of Christ alone, prosperity preacher advise many methods of obtaining blessings like anointing him, planting the seed, holy water, prayer for the man of God. This false gospel downplays Christ's efficiency, but Christ done it all for us. So our God is a God that still heals. Yes, he does heal. I have seen, I can testify of God still getting healing. But sometimes my God allows us to go through things, to teach us things. It will be a day, it will be prosperous. There will never be no more suffering. It's going to be a day of glory. There will never have to spend suffering again. That day will come and a day of glorification. But here in this world, he's making us more like Jesus. And how does he do it? Through suffering, through trials. The football player, the trying tour days, they're working out from May, June, and July. They're working out getting stronger and stronger. They're shedding tears, blood and tears. The football player's working hard and practicing over and over to get stronger. The hard work and suffering produces over time. Now it comes September, October, and the football players prepare to play the game. And the same thing in Christian life. Hard times, God uses to mold and shape us to the image of his son. And what we're saying, though, is that, that no more suffering and no more pain. It's saying, though, is that God doesn't have to teach us anything else. You're telling God that God is already finished with us. 
What you're saying is that I don't have to go through suffering anymore and trials anymore. You're saying God has already completed my journey. But God hasn't completed in the sense of but God has completed the final work on the cross. But God is still making us more and more like him. I'm a pastor and I still struggle at times. I have to ask my wife for forgiveness. I called Brother Jerry asked him for forgiveness yesterday. And so hard times show me my heart. Hard times show me where I'm really at. I can say all them good words. I can say all these things about God. But when hard times hit, it showed me how I really feel. Hard times expose me who I really trust in those moments. So hard times, we need them to see where we're at. I love my wife to death. But if we didn't have hard times, I wouldn't be able to see all my shortcomings. Hard times help me be a better father. Hard times help me be a better husband. So suffering again is good for us as Christians. So again, I'm in this last, in this point right here. If we spend so much time fighting against God when suffering comes, we miss what God is doing and preparing us for what is to come. If we spend so much time fighting God, suffering, fighting them and fighting them and fighting them. We miss what God is doing, preparing us for what is to come. God is preparing each and every one of us out here that believe. And he used hard time. That job you might not got that you apply for, the Lord might be teaching you perseverance, continue, continue applying, continue trusting me. It might show you that you're easily to give up on things in life. That those times and everything when your health, right, declining in certain ways, it might be teaching and everything, do you trust the Lord? That the Lord can heal you. So family, we need hard times for us to trust the Lord. Let me get into the second point. Suffering is happening now in the Christian life. It's happening right now. It tells it right here in verse 18. Look at your scripture from verse 18. Of the present time. We just learned about Christians suffering for Jesus. Now we see that Paul wrote this letter to the Romans Rome is far from Jerusalem. Jerusalem was where Christ was persecuted. So you would think Paul is focusing about on Jerusalem, but no, Paul now is writing this letter to encourage the people in Rome. So what does it tell us? That his brothers and sisters now are suffering in Corinth, where we get the first Corinthians, second Corinthians. Thessalonica, first Thessalonians, second Thessalonians. Philippians, Philippi. That Paul is writing these letters because he knows what all these Christians are facing right now. They're facing various things as their Savior has faced. So Paul says right here, the present suffering. The suffering, I don't think, is like a natural disaster, which natural disasters do happen. But relates to denying to the flesh. That's what referring to, not natural disaster, but denying the flesh. Which is never a time when the Christians aren't denying the flesh. One identifying mark of being a Christian is denying the flesh. When I say the flesh, is the things that our carnal minds want. Our carnal minds want a lot of money. A lot of money. You get a million dollars, you want a billion dollars. You get a billion, you want a trillion. It doesn't, it doesn't stop. The, the flesh doesn't stop. The flesh wants the things of this world. The flesh wants to worship the things in this world. And it might not be money for you. It might be other things. It might be image. It might be in the sense of 
wanting people to see you better for what you are. You might have made an idol of yourself. It might be various things that might be in your life. But Paul here is referring to them, though, is that one mark of a believer is denying the flesh. There's never a time when a Christian doesn't deny the flesh. So it's never a time, right, a Christian is not suffering. A Christian will always suffer because Christian was always going to say no to the things of this world. This is 24-7. The suffering is at every moment because the flesh wants the things contrary to the flesh at every moment. Because the flesh looks around the room and to compare. The flesh looks around the room to covet. The flesh looks around the room and it's always up to something to see what it can do to get their attention. So there's never a time the spirit isn't pushing against the flesh. It's a battle. Paul talks about this. The flesh and the spirit. It's a battle, a back and forth battle. So suffering is happening every moment. We can't be idle then. We can't say, well, let's wait till we go to heaven. We're going to have to deal with it. So let me go ahead and give in and sin now. I'm going to go to heaven. We're not to deal with it anymore. Paul said, no. We're just going to say no to sin, but we're called to do so much more. We have to display the character to be attributes. I talked to somebody this week. We are talking about suffering. In the midst of suffering, Jesus tells us right here in the Beatitude, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. When should we hunger and thirst for righteousness? At every moment. At every moment of Christmas. Even in the midst of suffering, we're hungry and thirst for thirsting for righteousness. And they shall be satisfied. So it's not like, oh, I can't wait till this go away. I can't wait till this go away. Let me just be an idol. Let me just say, let me just complain in this moment. Let me just complain in this moment. Paul encourages us in this moment that in the moments when suffering happens, we still thirst after God. We still long after God. We still are peacemakers in the midst of that. We're not trying our best to avoid suffering, but we're trying our best to trust the Lord in the midst of suffering and reminding ourselves that our God is still alive. So we exemplify Christ when things get hard for us. We're designing Christ and his righteousness, not the world. Worldly folks are disgruntled and not content with the things aren't going as planned. But Jesus suffered in the same way we suffer. But he never grunted towards his father. But what he did, he honored his father. He drunk the cup of the father wrath. He drunk the cup of the father wrath and punished so we could be made right. And Paul ends in there and the Beatitudes. Listen to this. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. Those are suffering, right? And utter all kinds of evil against you, falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecute the prophets who were before you. Christ was persecuted, the prophet was persecuted. But Jesus tells the disciples, rejoice. And suffering, rejoice. You're like, that doesn't make sense. Jesus said, rejoice. Finally, my brothers, 
arrested. They probably were put in jail for no reason, for doing what's right. He's teaching the gospel. He still was put in the jail, but he didn't ask for a bail sponsor, did he? No. He didn't ask, is somebody going to put something on his books? But what did Paul says in the midst of being in jail? Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. And what happened in the midst of suffering while he was in jail? He said in Pierre many around him heard the gospel and were saved. Paul, God used Paul's imprisonment for people in prison to know Jesus. Philippians 4, 4, Paul tells again, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I would say rejoice. Rejoice in the sufferings, knowing that suffering produces so many things. 2 Corinthians 4, 17, 18, listen to this. For this light monetary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparisons. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So families in this room, there's a never a time that we won't have to go through things. So when those times happen, God is calling us to encourage, calling us to trust him. To trust the Lord in the midst of those things. The last point, point number three. This is the people blinking at me. Suffering from Christians to the glory of God. Listen to the end of this verse. Are not worthy comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The second point, the third point is not expected with health and wealth prosperity. Because you can have whatever you want now. So it's not about seeing God's glory, but it's seeing your own glory and prosperity gospel. It's idolatrous. This is the same lie Adam and Eve bought into. They wanted to self-riches at that moment. Adam and Eve, they didn't want God. They wanted to be as God. They wanted to rule over God. And so for them, our fruit, all the fruit in the garden, and the thing they had in the garden, they was to cherish the garden. They made an idol out of it. And sin came. They wanted riches over God. And Paul tells us the opposite. For us to wait on the Lord. Suffering is difficult, but it's worth waiting Listen to this, family. If you're really suffering as a Christian, it is a proof that you are a Christian. That you are a child of God. That things are inevitable. We must suffer when we are Christians. This is an absolute rule. As you suffer, so shall we. So we are suffering because of our relationship to him. And as Christians, it's an absolute proof of our relationship to him. One thing about it, Christ went through things. Guess what? We're going to go through things. We look like him. This verse, if it can be translated, is this. For I consider the worth of the present suffering is not comparable at, the, at, at any moment to the glory to be revealed to us. We should compare the present suffering to the coming. We should compare the present suffering to the coming glory. And what I mean by that is that the present suffering Right now, it shouldn't even be compared to what we have in Jesus in Israel. God's glory is why we are created. We are created to glorify him for his ultimate purpose. And we get to do that forever. And eternal being with him on the day of glorification. Glorification is everything about our being honored.
So we encourage, and Paul encourages us, that when hard times hit, they don't even compare to when we get in God forevermore. And Satan knows how powerful this is in the Christian life. Once the Christian realizes what they have in Jesus forever, everything in this world becomes so small. Everything in this world is not worth it because we have something so greater. So the Christian's life. Now, we're not empty based upon emptiness and selfish gratification, but based upon God and what God has done. We can come to the conclusion after being led by the Spirit, that Jesus is so much better than anything this world can offer us. He is worth waiting for. Jesus' entire ministry was waiting to see the glory to come. A true Christian is one that is also doing the same thing. We are waiting on the glory of God to come. This has already came. It's going to continue to come. And it's going to be fully realized on the day of glory. So suffering points to God's glory. Let me end with a couple of verses. 1 Peter 4, 12 and 14. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fear of trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share in Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. John 16, 33. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulations. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus tells his disciples before he leaves, tribulations will come. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Romans 5, 3 and 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out, poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So take a listen to this in verse, Romans 5, verse 3. If we take suffering out, we don't get endurance. We don't get character building. We don't get hope. And we do get put to shame. We get the opposite. So we remove suffering in this world. You don't get anything else in Romans 3, 4, and 5. But if we suffer, we're going to have endurance. When that lady or that guy break a line in front of you at Walmart, you go through that one time, two times, three times, next thing you know, the fourth time it happens, you better say, let me go ahead and let them go. Let me let them go today. Where did they come from? It came from over time. The Lord working on you. Over time, over time, now you became a changed person. Trials do that for us. Let me end with a couple of applications. Jordan blinking, blinking at me again. Suffering is every day in the Christian life, but don't be discouraged. Do not be shocked or surprised about suffering when it comes. Fight the sin. Suffer like our elder brother Jesus Christ did, the God man. He suffered and the Father honored him. And as we suffer and trust the Lord, 
Christ. Number two, run from any teacher or pastor or friend, anyone that teaches you health, wealth, prosperity, gospel, that you will never be sick again in this world. Don't listen to that. They are selling you false lies. They are fattening their pockets up. They're making a lot of money. Listen to our Savior here. Listen to this. And he's not asking you for a dime. He's not asking you for a dime. He asks you to put your faith in him. Put your trust in him. And he will make you rich. He will give you all the blessings. All the heavenly blessings, it tells us in Ephesians 1. Third thing. Look for the glory to come. Every day, imagine that suffering and death will be ultimately be defeated. And one day, it will not be here anymore. It's not everlasting. It's temporary, family. It's temporary. But sometimes, for y'all that are retired, you might have worked 40, 30, 40, 50 years. And you felt like that day would never come retirement, didn't you? And now you look back at it, now it came. But at first, when you were 17, 18 years old, when you first started, it was so far away that you never thought you were going to reach that moment. In the same way, sometime in the Christian life, going through those hard times, difficult times, it might feel like it's so far away. Trust and wait on the Lord. One person said, when we respond to suffering well, we press to demonstrate to the unbelieving world that Christ is more glorious and precious to us than any pain and difficulty we might endure. We have the opportunity to show where and when and whom in whom we find our treasure, true treasure. By placing our ultimate hope in Christ, Rather than the temporary things in this world, God receives glory. It's evangelism. You want people to know Jesus? How do you deal with adversity? Do you deal with adversity the same way everybody else deals with adversity? Or do you see something different about you? Last thing right here. A couple questions one person saying you ask yourself. When hard times hit, you guys can write this down and put it in your phone. When hard times hit, ask these two questions. What is the Lord teaching you about himself? When you're sick. What is the Lord teaching you about himself? We don't know what tomorrow may bring. What is the Lord teaching you about himself? The second question. How can you use your suffering for his glory? How can you use suffering for his glory? The second question. How can you use it for his glory? your faith in Jesus. And for those that want to know what does it mean to follow Jesus, put your faith in Jesus, please, I would love to talk to you after service. For Christ for them in church, we'd love to baptize you. We'd love for you to be a part of this church. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us.